The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about some very important consumer issues that all of us have to worry about now in this information age, and that is consumer background checks, background checks to get a job, background checks to be promoted, background checks to be, you know, uh, on certain uh, boards or whatever. So we're all really going to be subject to background checks. I've had one by the Sheriff's Department as a Sheriff Reserve. I have to have one every four years and give my fingerprints and all that. So it's really important that we all know what we're facing with background checks and what can happen if there is a problem with the background check and what can happen if there are errors and what who you can go to, what you can do. So let me introduce you to our wonderful guest, and his name is John Sumulas. He is an attorney. He is a shareholder at the law firm of Francis and Mailman PC in the city of Philadelphia. He concentrates his practice in the areas of consumer protection law. He deals with the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the Fair Debt Collection Act, and consumer class actions. He has litigated hundreds of FCRA cases, that's Fair Credit Reporting Act cases, primarily in the federal courts throughout the country. And he's tried several cases, obtaining some of the highest FCRA jury verdicts, which we're going to hear about one this morning. He's also handled appeals, and he's been appointed class counsel in several class actions. He's even a a lecturer on consumer matters, including for the Pennsylvania Bar Institute, the National Business Institute, the National Consumer Law Center, and much more. He's been interviewed and quoted concerning many legal issues affecting consumers in a wide wide range of media outlets, from the Wall Street Journal and Forbes magazine to Consumer Reports and Free Speech Radio, and we're just thrilled that he's joining us today. I could go on and on about his wonderful background and his uh, publications, etc., but you can find out more about him at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and also at his website at consumerlawfirm.com. So we're thrilled that he's joining us this morning all the way from 
Pennsylvania. So thanks so much, John, for joining us. Uh, Marty, good morning uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm <laughs> delighted uh, to be here, and also thank you very much for that generous introduction. Yeah, well, I think you're terrific, and I'm really excited to talk about that case. But first of all, how is it that you got into consumer law? Well, I got into this area of law um, through uh, a personal uh, connection at the Francis and Mailman law firm where uh, I'm a shareholder now. Um, I was always interested um, in doing legal work that helped uh, people, individuals, as opposed to government or or businesses. And um, at the time, the firm was looking to hire a lawyer. I was about two years out of law school and looking to to get into this field, so uh, we had a, a, a nice meeting, and I was very interested in this area, and I've uh, been here ever since. About That was about 13 years ago. Well, I think it's wonderful that you wear a white hat and you're representing consumers, because truly and truly, especially in this day and age, it's really hard. You know, it's David and Goliath out there, and I know that, and so I really honor you for that. Let's talk about the case that I really got excited about. I had seen that you recently tried a case in the Eastern District of Michigan dealing with background checks. So let's let's kind of talk about what happened in that case, and then you can tell me a little more about it, okay? Uh, of course. So um, that case, like most in our practice, was under a federal law that you've already introduced, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, or the FCRA as we call it for short, and because it's a federal law, uh, we have the ability uh, by um, engaging with local counsel to to have cases uh, prosecuted really anywhere in the country. Uh, We engaged with a lawyer in the Detroit area because that's where the client was from, and the client's name was uh, David Allen Smith, uh, and he had a David and Goliath uh, situation that he was facing in the sense that he was a individual, a truck driver, uh, working for a, a company that had just been acquired by a new company, and as many employers do these days, the new company required every uh, single candidate for uh, a job to go through a background check. Now, um, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, even though it's called the Credit Reporting Act, it also regulates the employment background checks that are sometimes about credit, but more frequently about work history and criminal history. And my client, Mr. Smith, in that case, um, had to do a background check because the new employer would not hire anyone without a background check. They, the drivers uh, and other employees at the company handled cash and checks, and they wanted to make sure that people were, uh, were uh, trustworthy. Uh, and uh, the, the long and the short of it is that he applied for a job. There was a background check done on him, but because it initially came back with four criminal records, from Florida uh, relating to another person named 
David Smith with a completely different middle name and social security number, etc. Um, he was not hired for the position, so he found himself having to try to deal with this very large background screening company uh, that's part of an international conglomerate that had just mixed up his information with that of a person who actually had a criminal history, and that mix-up prevented him from uh, latching on with a new employer. It delayed, uh, it delayed his ability to work for about six weeks uh, while he tried to deal with the problem, and it was um, it's a very difficult time as he tried to go through it um, and also meet his bills and his obligations and so forth. Right. And, you know, I, I know four David Smiths, and my contact father's four David Smiths. So, you know, these background check companies know that that's a very common name, even if it isn't a common name. I, you know, I went on Spokio and I saw, believe it or not, there's like 10 Mari Franks across the country. I don't know if they're <laughs> committing identity theft or what, but, you know, I mean, especially David Smith, how not to make sure that they double check Everything, you know, the address and, and the middle name and, and all the other uh, points of contact that they could have used to make sure that they did a, a thorough investigation. So, so what happened? He came to you. So then what happened? Um, or he came well, to the local consul. Yeah. Well, he, he came uh, to us and we engaged with a, a local lawyer and brought suit in the uh, Eastern District uh, of Michigan, right. alleging that the background company, which was LexisNexis Screening Solutions Inc., which they're uh, huge, which they're just uh, totally huge, that uh-huh. is one of the large uh, background screeners. So a lot of companies in the United States uh, use LexisNexis. There are several background screening companies, but that's one of them. Uh-huh. Uh, and the claim that we brought is that in putting this background report together, they did not assure the maximum possible accuracy of the information as the law requires. So we did, in fact, find out that they didn't use the middle name. Uh, they didn't use the address. They didn't uh, try to find a social security number, uh, uh, which was partially available. The last four digits were available from the criminal records in Florida, and we were able to obtain those. Uh, and um, the claim was that um, for everybody, not just people with common names, but for everyone who uh, applies for a job and is subject to one of these background checks, um, that these background screeners must really do the absolute maximum in assuring that the information is accurate because when the reports come back with highly derogatory uh, information, such as criminal history, um, the results are very predictable. People are not going to get hired. It totally ruins your life. I mean, emotionally, he must have been so distraught. I mean, I've I've dealt with victims of criminal identity theft and victims of these kind of mixes themselves, and people are just besides themselves. They they feel impotent. I mean, he, did he get a copy of that report right away so that he could see what what it was that they were firing? You know, they were not going to hire him for. So he did not, and, and you're right. This is uh, quite a shock to people. Uh, what happened is he walked into the factory floor at the new uh, employers uh, after the new employer had taken over 
uh, and he was trying to figure out what was going on, and he was just told rather abruptly to leave and go home. Take his stuff, get out of there, huh? Uh, people were around. His co-workers were around. This uh, was a relatively small community. It was very embarrassing to him and, and his family. Uh, people found out about this. There was a testimony at the trial. The, the case eventually went to trial and, and was tried, uh, I should mention, at the end of October of last year uh, to a, a verdict for Mr. Smith, and we could discuss that in a moment if you'd yeah, like. Yeah. Um, but his, his initial reaction was shock. He didn't understand what was going on. Uh, when he finally found out what was on the report, uh, he couldn't fathom um, how it happened. It was very obvious to him that there was no connection between him and the person in, in Florida. And he had never lived in Florida, right? Uh, I'm sorry, Mari? He had, had he ever lived in Florida, even? Uh, the testimony was that he had only been to Florida one time as a, uh, as a teenager with his parents to go to <laughs> Disney. <laughs> But never lived there, never had an address there, never stayed there for any period of time as an adult. Uh, not at all, actually. Uh, there was no reasonable connection, uh, but the, the testimony at trial was that um, um, the, the background screening company um, made a choice to do a couple of things that turned out to be very problematic in this case. Uh, one was to obtain bulk data concerning mm. crimes as opposed to the actual court records. Right. Uh, and the bulk data was missing information, including the Social Security number. Uh, the last four digits of the perpetrator's Social Security number were actually available in the criminal records um, for the Florida Department of Corrections. But the... The background screening company did not did not get that. And then the other thing that they did, which was inexplicable, uh, was not to require the new employer uh, to provide a middle name mm -hmm. to know whether the applicant had a middle name and what it was. Of course, had they had that, that would have been another way to avoid this problem altogether. Although... I have seen a case, I had a case that I was helping a, a victim of a similar thing that happened here in California, where the parties had the exact same name. I mean, first name, middle name, and last name, and both lived in California. So there was a mix-up with that. So you could have, I mean, you could be David John Smith, right? Or David Allen Smith. Uh, so even a middle name wouldn't have been enough. They would have had to look at, like you said, the social or for criminal records. There's always fingerprints. They they could have said, look, we have a problem here. There's maybe there's two people or there's five people or whomever. There's another person that's in another state. Let's verify. Did you ever live in this state? You know, maybe we can look at, at other records or the, the you know, the fingerprints are going to be the, the telling thing. You're not going to be able to, you might have a similar social, you might have a similar first name, middle name, and last name, but your fingerprints are going to be different, right? And of course, criminal records always have fingerprints. Yes, always. And, and, and there is all, 
types of information that government uses to, to make sure that you know that they have the correct person when they prosecute someone of a crime however the the background screening business is very different it's, yes. it's a volume business it's a business that's largely automated someone is not taking a look at these reports one by one and looking for discrepancies and uh, even the computer programs sometimes don't cross-reference for um, discrepancies and um, you know these things happen more frequently than you would think um, yes my, especially my now my client has a very common name obviously yeah. but uh, I believe he said he googled his name and found over 4,000 uh, David Smiths in Michigan alone. Yes. Uh, so, uh, of course, there are going to be people with the exact same middle name as his, but they're going to have something else different, a date of birth, a social security number, an address, fingerprints, driver's license. Right. There are various data points that the background screeners could use, and this case was about their failure to, um, to to use the, all those data points, and, and I got to tell you, Mari, the the jury really got this because they understood not only that Mr. Smith was out of work and he should be compensated for that, but that he was distraught emotionally and shocked and should be compensated for that as the law requires, and also had his very good name and reputation tarnished. Yes. Uh, and people and the humiliation. You know, yes, the humiliation at work. Everybody looked at him like he's a criminal. Uh, once you ring a bell, it's very hard to unring it. Yes. Uh, people made jokes. One person called him his favorite felon oh. in front of a crowd of twenty people. <gasps> oh my um, god! Now, it's I defamation think the jury for sure. All that yeah. and, and compensated. Mr. Smith with an award of $75,000 for compensatory damages for what happened, but additionally the jury uh, awarded uh, $300,000 in punitive damages against LexisNexis Screening Solutions. Uh, and I think that's because... Um, they wanted to send a message, don't do this to, to consumers, right? You're right. You're right. They, they they wanted to send a message because they realized that this is the sort of thing that could happen and does happen all too frequently, uh, and that companies like this really could do better to prevent these mixes of identity. Exactly. So so you got this verdict. Is it on appeal now, or what's what's going on? So uh, currently, the case is in post-trial motions. There isn't yet an appeal, but as is permitted in federal court uh, in Michigan and throughout the country, the uh, party that didn't win the trial could ask the trial judge to reconsider uh, the jury's verdict, and, and that's the phase we're in now. Uh, um, I don't think the time for an appeal under the schedule that that court has will, uh, will be up until uh, later this year. So, how did the judge act? I mean, did the judge, I know that the jury made the decision, but how did you perceive the judge to be seeing this? Did he, did, you don't think he's going to just, uh, you know, just change the whole verdict, do you? Um, so, the, the trial judge, I thought, was very even-handed and, and fair-minded, uh, thoughtful throughout uh, the process. I think... Um, he took the case seriously because it was a serious case, uh, and he um, handed down a decision. So this was the first 
post-trial decision came out at the very end of last year, December 30th of 2014, Mm -hmm. where he held that uh, all of the issues were properly um, presented to the jury for both um, the compensatory damages and the punitive damages, and that there were no errors made. So the, the preliminary finding from the trial court is that the verdict was appropriate, um, as I mentioned, the process would allow the defendant, Lexus, to file yet another motion for a new trial or mm-hmm. for some other form of relief, and we would expect that they will try that, but um, we're not quite there yet. Right, right. <laughs> or they'll try and get the damages to be reduced or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I would not be surprised if they, they tried that as well, uh, although uh, I think that the damages are perfectly in line with other verdicts that we have seen in other parts of the country in this area. And um, also the punitive damages appear to be in the ratio that the courts of appeal and the U.S. Supreme Court has said are appropriate uh, when you have both compensatory and punitive damages. So we're very confident in in the verdict. Uh, I wouldn't at all be surprised if uh, LexisNexis tries to appeal it. I think that's they don't want to set a precedent of a, of a high verdict, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you something. What about, did you sue the employer also? Oh, he got so, his job back, though, right? He did get his job back, finally, after six weeks, did he? So we, we did not sue the, the employer. The employer eventually hired him okay. after uh, he managed to solve this problem on his own and right. uh, submit documentation to Lexus to prove that he had no connection with these criminal records right. in uh, Florida. Uh, and additionally, um, our view was that um, the employer was required to give Mr. Smith certain notice. So, right, right. Uh, and they did it. So what, what I think people need to know in this area is when there is a background check because they're applying for a new job or a promotion or a new management company comes in, they have to be told and they have to give permission in writing on a usually a standalone page that says something along the lines of, I consent that you could do a background check on me. Uh, now, this company did that, uh, and... The other part of the law um, that's relevant here is that if a company considers uh, not hiring someone or taking Mm -hmm. adverse action against them because of their background report, they must send them a pre-adverse action notice. So that means before they make that decision not to hire them or to take adverse action, um, people must be told uh, the report came back. It's from such and such a company. There is the problem. You have some reasonable opportunity to look into it and to get uh, a get problem a corrected yeah. if, in fact, the information is erroneous. Yeah, so he he's entitled to a copy. And, in fact, in California, the law is is that when you sign the paper to get a background check, you can also sign a box that you want a copy of it, whether it's an adverse action or not. So you get a t- you are entitled to a copy of your background check. Now, I think federally, if, if there's an adverse action, you're entitled to one, uh, a copy of that background check for free, correct? So that is correct. Under federal law, anywhere in the country, you're entitled to a free copy from the employer 
if they intend to take some adverse action, if they're going to hire you uh, at the federal level, they don't need to show you the background report that they pulled. Right. But don't you have a right to get it from the company if there's some, if there is um, an adverse action and that if there is a potential adverse action? I think you're so entitled to get it from the company that did the background check. So that's a good point. So uh, if there is any information on a report that is of a public record, right? so a public record could be a judgment, a bankruptcy, a tax lien, a criminal record, right, right. something that is with a court or a government agency, right. then you have the right to be told about that and to get a copy of your background report from the company that prepared it. Uh, and they must do that at the same time they give the report to the employer so that as a job applicant, you are on equal footing to see what information is being communicated. Um, now, separately, everyone, uh, whether it's a background report, a credit report, uh, a renter's history report, uh, a medical history report, is entitled to a free report of whatever information a consumer reporting agency has about them once every 12 months. Right. Um, so regardless of whether they applied somewhere, they didn't apply, they got a job, they didn't get the job, if they simply want to see what these background screening companies or credit reporting companies or any consumer reporting agency has in their file about you, once every 12 months you get a free copy. Okay, so we know how easy it is to get a free copy of your credit report. You can go to annualcreditreport.com. It's not so easy to go and get your free uh, criminal background check, but I mean, LexisNexis does have a website, I think, still. I know they did when, when they took over ChoicePoint, but it's not as easy to find where you can get these free reports once a year. Do you know what I mean? So do yeah, you have I, that uh, available for people to know where they can go? I mean, they can go to the Federal Trade Commission or they can go to privacyrights.org and see the specialty consumer reports and see how to get those. But it's a it's a hassle to try and get every one of those. <laughs> so uh, absolutely right. It, there are a lot of these background screening companies and specialty consumer reporting agencies. Yes. I believe the latest statistics that I have seen from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is that there are over 80 major ones. Yes. And and many, many more minor ones. So it's, it's a real hassle to find out all the information that is being sold about us. And um, oftentimes, you, people wouldn't know um, whether their employer will use a background report company, and if so, which one. Right, right. So it's not easy. You could um, um, go to a government website. Uh, I know my firm's website, um, uh, creditreportproblems.com, has a list of the major background screening companies. And oh, good. Uh-huh. We recommend to people, if they think they're going to be subject to a background report, uh, it'd be wise to see it ahead of time from the major companies anyhow to, to see if there's possibly a problem that exists that they could correct 
before they even apply. That I was just <coughs> going to ask you, because here we're sitting on the campus of the University of California in Irvine, and so there are people who will be graduating this year who are going to be looking for jobs, and more and more companies are asking for it. So that's really one of the things I was going to also um, reiterate, is that if you're looking for a job, it's a good idea for you to get your background check. In California, unless you're going to be dealing with money issues, they can't get your credit report, but it's a good idea to get your credit reports and your background checks. And you are just wonderful, John. So we're just out of time. So why don't you give your website and um, it's going to be time to go. So my firm's website is consumerlawfirm.com. And uh, as I mentioned before, we are also at creditreportproblems.com, which is an informational website by my law firm that has quite a bit of information on uh, your rights uh, and what you could do if you encounter a problem on one of these credit reports or background reports uh, to try to solve it on your own ahead of time, or if no one is helping you to solve it, what legal recourse uh, you might have like uh, like Mr. Smith had in the case we just talked about. Wonderful. John Sumilis, you're just wonderful, and it's great that you do work federally and all across the nation. So we will have you back again. Please keep in touch, and, and congratulations on that wonderful case. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI. And we hope to see you next week. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.